work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. Responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. It's raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. Hi, Emory friends. Thanks so much for listening. This is Megan from the future, about four years after recording these first few episodes. And I can tell you now, we didn't know what we didn't know. And I really wish we would have sought out more support. That's why I'm giving a shout out to my friends, Shai Fishman and Leah Dawn over at Leveled Up Love. They created a really wonderful free webinar called From Polyagony to Polysecurity, The Five Pitfalls of Open Relating and How to Avoid Them. I'm pretty sure Marty, Kyle, and I hit all five of those pitfalls. And looking back, I wish we had sought out more support. So that's why I'm giving a shout out now here to you as you're starting your journey probably to go over and get support. Leveled Up Love is amazing. Shai and Leah have so much wisdom and they work with a team of coaches. And I encourage you to go actually right now, pause. There's a link in the show notes. Go over there and watch so that you can avoid what Kyle, Marty, and I weren't able to avoid, but we share openly here. So, of course, keep listening and um, really, really grateful to have you here. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Hey, everyone. You are in for a treat today. This episode of Amory is fantastic. I got I got the experience of a listener this time. Kyle and Marty did this episode just themselves, um, per my request. I I love when the guys get a chance to talk, and because I wasn't there when they recorded this, I got to listen. I literally just finished listening to it myself, and I'm lit up. I, my heart feels so wide open. I love these two men so much. So in this conversation, they talk about the, the constructs of masculinity. And I have to tell you, when, when we were first talking about this as the concept for them to talk about, I was like, okay, good, great. Two guys are talking about masculinity. It's really helpful. It could be helpful for more men out there. And I think that was kind of the intention as they were talking about it. But I have to tell you, uh, as a listener, experiencing it and really allowing the, the concepts to hit me, I was like, oh, shit. I mean, of course, all of us are masculine and all of us are feminine. We have both traits. They're, they're really just ideas. Um, they're concepts that we use. And I have to tell you, as a woman, I realized some of my, we'll call it toxic masculine traits, that um, where I can definitely still transform. And I can bring some of what they, they talk about in the healthy masculine Um, the practices of vulnerability, the practices of forgiveness and gratitude, um, really to create a safe space for ourselves first. And then as we create a safe space for ourselves, we create a safe space for others. All of these concepts, I realized, are just as much for women as they are for men. So as our listenership here, is that a word, listenership? Uh, As our listeners might be more women, I invite you to enjoy this conversation in many ways, um, having these two incredibly emotionally intelligent men talking about it. Hopefully they give you hope. Um, Perhaps see what characteristics of masculinity they're talking about and you can uh, ask yourself, is there something that's in there for me that I can learn to have a healthier relationship with my masculine side? And if you have a partner, if you have a man in your life, uh, maybe you can listen to this together. I know I've had some listeners say that they it takes them hours longer to get through our podcast because they listen to it with their partner and they use it as talking points. So they'll listen and then pause and talk about things and then go back to it. And uh, I love hearing that. 
Um, so I invite you to listen to this with your partner. Um, maybe just share it, share it with other men in your life um, or other women. So there are so many ways to to listen to this one. I love it. I think we're kind of getting our shit together, people. <laughs> I've finally allowed Marty to uh, to give his incredible contribution of storytelling and of the the understanding of stories and relating information to create a framework. So yay for getting more organized. Thanks for bringing with us as we literally are stumbling our way through this. Um, I love I love authentic conversations. I love the vulnerable moments that that were not planned to come up. So I, I, for me, I think that was my fear in structuring this too much is I don't want to lose um, the incredible essence of a conversation where we're literally learning ourselves in that conversation. So that is my promise to you. And another promise is that we are getting more organized. So please enjoy this conversation, uh, share and really just an enjoy. And thanks for joining us on our journey. Welcome to episode of Just Kyle and Marty today. Welcome, Kyle. It's a man podcast. It's a Welcome man Marty. podcast today. It's about masculinity. So we are in Cotswold-ish, England, right? which is what kind of town would you say? An old, quaint little town. Lots of castles. Lots of old people, old buildings. Old things to do. White people. But it's perfect. <laughs> That's primarily white. Yeah. It's perfect downshift from London's energy, right? Yeah, and I've been on a journey myself from Germany to the mountains of Austria to here. And I got to drive left-handed, manual car on the left side of the street, and I love it. That was pretty masculine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think the ladies could do it, too. I think it's more uh, – uh, I know the ladies could do it, too. It's more a mindset. Yeah. Right? Yeah, when you walked in, you were like, yeah, I'm going to do this today. Yeah, it's like I had the identity of I can drive anything anywhere, right? And like I can, I love it, love it. I knew I was I was actually in it when I could, you know, sing along with the music I was playing and drive on the left side of the road, feeling good. Right. All right. So today's podcast, we're really gonna answer some of the questions. So thank you everybody who's been listening. This is probably gonna be the fifth episode that when we put it out there. Um, the speed at which this is getting shared is amazing. The feedback that we're getting, the like 40 plus messages we've gotten in just a short period of time, asking specific questions, motivating us, giving us a lot of energy towards this and really making Megan's vision of the future come true. So thank everybody for that. And in addition to that, we're going to try to make this the, the, the thing. So be sure to listen out for Megan's offers and things like Patreon and share this with your friends because, yeah, we want to make this inquiry something that is easier to have. And we believe that this podcast isn't necessarily about the answers, but more about the inquiry. The questions. The questions on that journey. And a well-asked question is half answered. I love that. And so this is really about crafting the right questions. And that's what we're going to do today on masculinity and these concepts of toxic and hyper masculinity and what our experiences were like. Right? Like what is the, the, the world of toxic and hyper masculinity these days in your opinion, Kyle? Yeah, it's everywhere from movies to media to our president to locker rooms 
I mean, if we're in a world where there's patriarchy and men are dominating to a degree that's uh, unequal, I think what we're experiencing is the dominance of hypermasculinity at that point and what that, how that ripples across society, how we all feel. I think I've always resisted personally um, authority. And in that way, I've been resisting hypermasculinity, right? Because it is a bit of one in the same because things are dominated by men and they we've created that environment. We've created that environment where that's the only way to win and achieve. And even women have had to choose to play that game if they want to rise and, and play and win. It's true. I think the archetypes that you're talking about, like mine wasn't uh, to win so overtly is more covertly. Like I'm the, the wrench in the machine, but my rebellion is another form of masculinity. Right. Another form of, in some cases, in many cases, toxic or hyper conditions of that masculinity. So I think for right now, the conversation that I see out there is obviously masculinity needs to be questioned. So that's where the inquiry is. What is masculinity? And then what are these concepts of hyper versus toxic? So I'm going to just say to generalize and to move on and not be the experts of what exactly hyper and toxic is. We're going to lump those together and say bad masculinity, the stuff that doesn't serve you. Right. And in my case, those things that I resisted, I suffered in. And uh, they were the very masculine dominant principles out there that take away safety and that create conflict and binary scenarios and uh, a lot of the problems that we even as men don't actually want to deal with. Right. So these are things that are just like pervasive to our own lives. So if you're listening to this and you're male and you have the perspective of, uh, well, I don't need to take on this masculinity bullshit, right? I'm fine. This, that, and the other thing, fine, but that's going to only cost you, right? Because it's going to cost everybody else, but it's going to cost you the most because it's going to, uh, it's going to isolate you and it's going to put you in a group that's not going to serve you, but rather one that's going to dominate each other and, and not really be a supportive group. Right. And I think what I've been learning in my journey is that, uh, and even conversations I have with a really good friend in Germany very recently is that there are good parts of masculinity and because it's been hyper, uh, and it's been toxic, there's a big resistance now to that. And what, what happens with resistance? It's the other side of the spectrum. Um, and it's, it's a total tearing down of what masculinity is. And I don't think that's really right either. There are good parts of masculinity that we need and that we need to own ourselves and, and be power empowered through. There is a powerful masculinity out there and it's needed and it's not by everyone the same as strength. Right. Yeah. And like I, I, I say power and, and not strength now because yeah. I, I like that. The analogy. Because, yeah. There's a distinction between that. And we've talked about it in the previous uh, episode, but the idea that it's power, not strength. Strength is very linear and power is very, very multidimensional and power and empowerment go well in hand. And quite a bit of what we're going to talk about today is what happens when you create a safe space and empower your partner to 
really be herself or himself, whatever kind of construction of your relationship you have, so that they are their two selves and blossom, and then you get the benefit of that. So some maybe counterintuitive thoughts. But really what we're going to be talking about is challenging this ordinary world of your masculinity. Where did it come from? Like, what things do you do that are just completely indoctrinated? And how is it costing you? What behavior do you have in uh, at work or in the locker room? Or do you change behaviors when you're around men? Do you notice that at all? And again, what does it cost you? Does it cost you that you don't have any real relationships? Do you feel like you're surrounded by a lot of people, but you have no real friends? Well, you know, are you ever vulnerable? Probably not. And, and, and there are going to be things that we talk about in this so that you can get to the other side, which is I feel like you, where you and I are right now, which is like what, Kyle? Like, what is the other side of like when you, when you take on this masculinity as an inquiry of your yeah. own and you get through these indoctrinations and you find these things that cost you, what's it like on the other side, relating and yourself? I mean, I'll close off the ordinary side with, what does it feel like? Cause I really am thinking a lot about somatics and what my body feels in the moment and how that is connected to my emotions. And I think what the toxic world felt like was that I was constantly triggered, constantly fighting some battle, jealous, worried that some guy was going to come in and take something of mine, trying, am I better? Am I good enough? Am I competing here? It was this constant battle within myself. I wasn't even living in the present. I was living in fear and a constant measurement of who am I? I'm not, I'm not enough. This guy's bigger. This guy's stronger. I mean, I'm five, nine. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be strong in the eyes of my football coach. That, that, and that's another story for another time. Unless he says, Hey, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, the size of the fight in the dog. Right. Some masculine type of bullshit. Right. Again. And I think what that felt like, you know, you, you feel it in your stomach, you feel this tightness, um, you feel a lot of stress, you feel your chest is tight, you're constantly on alert. That's the world that I feel like I used to live in. Chronic stress. And it was chronic stress, and my body didn't look very good. And Was I, it at work, too? All the time. I mean, it was it was in my head, so it was all the time. Wherever I was, it was it was really the reality I lived in and the lens that I looked through. And I think what I feel now is relief because I, I know I feel the contrast and I see the difference. And if I have a body reaction where my stomach reacts or my heart gets tight, I'm, as we said the other day, it's so different that we're wondering why this bad feeling is happening and we're able to sit with it and figure it out. By the way, I love the look on your face when you have these like connections. Like Kyle gets this. We were we were in Oxford. We stopped for lunch in Oxford because we were hungry and Oxford sounded, you know, Oxfordy. So smart. we <laughs> smart place to eat. <laughs> so we we uh stopped and we were having lunch and Kyle and I were talking about I think it was jealousy or something like that. And you had mentioned this little blip on the radar of it triggered you. And then you were like in the inquiry of the, why it triggered you. And I, I like called your attention to the fact that because your new normal is peaceful. Yes. The trigger is now the contrast that the natural state, which you said, you talked about the other day. Yeah. The natural state of being is peaceful. And so this is the opposite of chronic stress. And then when you have these little blips on the radar, they're like, Whoa, that's inauthentic to who I am. And why did I have that? And then the inquiry can happen faster. 
right? And then you can be relieved faster. But the look on Kyle's face <laughs> is just, just like, <laughs> you can see on. the aha moment. There's like fireworks in there. His eyes get big. And then all of a sudden you see his brain go to work. And it's like, <laughs> I'm the next layer now. Like, now what? Yeah, it's like you level up your character. Like, now I want to see what this son of a bitch can do. Exactly. Yeah. Like everything's I, an RPG. Yeah, so I think I feel good in my body um, in this new world. And I and it's nice to be able to talk to Megan about her sexuality and exploring other people and attraction to other men and interest in other men and connection to other men. I want that for her. I Why? intuitively, deeply, because I know I know the value it that it is for her. I know the value that it is for me. And I think double standard is one of the things that came up where it's like in this journey. Why would I want that? Because I know it's good for me and I've experienced it when I, I can express my sexuality and explore different people and not be so limited. But then I, I can't create that rule or I can't allow that rule for her. It doesn't make any sense. And that was kind of a, a quick realization. I'm like, well, shit, we can't, we can't work with that if I don't have, if I'm living this double standard. So, right. And this, this comes down to in the, the world after you've taken on or when you start this inquiry and you get on this journey of your own masculinity, you start seeing things like the inequalities you start when you start owning them. And when you start cleaning them up, your partner behaves differently. You inject energy into your partner. You create that safe space and that's it's not fixing your partner. It's creating a safe space for your partner. And we're going to get into that um, pretty heavy in the middle of this. And I think really when we, when you get that safe space, you don't realize this, but you're also safe. And in that vulnerability and that uh, that ability to communicate on that level, you re-empower your relationships and all of them. And some of them will go away because you'll be more picky about who you allow to influence your life. And if they're stuck in those hyper-masculine paradigms and those toxic masculine paradigms, well, they might not necessarily be the people you need to be hanging out with anymore, or at least have the conversations with those who are willing to listen to change the trajectory of a friendship too, because this applies to monogamy, non-monogamy, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your family and the relationship with your peers your coworkers, all of it. And like you said, being triggered all the time and that hyper-masculine is chronic stress. Right. <clears throat> and what happens when you're constantly triggered is you cannot plan or imagine or dream of a future. And I think now is one of the first times in my life that I'm able to dream and envision a future. And it's really nice because I'm safe in the present. I'm surrounded by people that love me and I can start dreaming about what is a life partner for me and what are, what is a world that I would maybe want to bring kids into. And I think I'm starting to feel like I'm moving towards that or I'm there and I'm, I'm seeking something that Intuitively, I've always known. I've always known that I didn't want the package, you know, societal norm, get married, white picket fence, car, mortgage, you know, corporate job. I never wanted that. It was an intuitive gut feel. And that always felt, I felt sick when I felt like that was my only option. Because it was misaligned with your authentic. Always, it always was that way. And I think getting out of that was really big for me to really start being like, what, what do I want? And then dreaming that it's possible and believing that I can do it. 
And I think all well, of that. What, what made you not believe that you could <clears> do it before? Not having an example. And I think that's a, a really important piece, which was not having a male example of, I mean, for many things of like what outside the box of what I've grown up with, which was successful men who were business people, entrepreneurs, and they had a trophy wife. And that was kind of the paradigm that I grew up in, in my hometown. And so that was tied to money. That was tied to stress and output and how I would be a dad. I wouldn't be around very much. Most of the dads weren't around that, that much. Um, and even their, their connection to their partner, you could see was based on money status. And I, I could see all through that. I could have been five years old, 10 years old when I could see that that's nonsense and that, that I didn't want it. And I think I'm just reconnecting back to the intuition that those are things that I didn't want. That was, but that was what I was surrounded in. And uh, I didn't have an example of what was possible. I didn't have an example of something that I would feel good in and would make me happy until recently. <laughs> so I, I can second that, that experience where <clears throat> planning is now possible. I think like this, I was in a chronic stress position as well, but from another side of the coin, like I never fit into the societal norms. It's like, hell no, I'm not doing any of this. And even looking back, I found I did some of societal's norms. I started chasing debt and the house and whatever car and this, that and other nonsense. And I, but I, I knew it was misaligned. I've always felt misaligned as well. And like the benefits. Did you feel it in your body? Yeah. For me, oh, it was like my stress is my shoulders. Yeah. My, I, I disassociate. Like that's one of the things I can do. It's like a sociopath state. It's like just feel nothing. Right. And I can, I can do that from my childhood and from fighting and all the rest of it. But now like I'm conscious that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like it's a choice. Maybe the emotions are too heavy and I just shut it all down. Mm-hmm. And so it's a numbness more than it was yeah. chronic stress necessarily. But then on the flip side of this, like in business, that was chronic stress. And that was a lot of that hyper-masculine. Like I played game theory mm-hmm. on contracts and anyone that went sideways. Like I'm the darkness eater. I'm the one that you do not want to be on the adversarial side of a negotiation with because I'll eat your face because I'll, I'll disassociate and I'll call it for what it is. And I'll play game theory scenarios textbook. And I don't, like that about me right and i don't like how do you feel when you're in that state cold to do it disconnected cruel and i don't it's a state of what would have been not a robot you can't turn it on and turn it off and walk back in the house and be yeah it would cost you yeah it costs you something right it's like every time it costs you and it's celebrated in the business world that level of like even the women have celebrated when I've used it for their advantage because they're in a tough situation and I'm coaching them or consulting them. Like it's celebrated to be that ruthless and it's terrible for me. And I realize that's one of the reasons why I had to step back from how I run my business or who runs it or what I, what my role is in the business. Um, and what is the cost? Well, the, co- the cost for you, the cost was I was bringing all of these negative games home. And I, I could manipulate or, uh, or in situations with even already being primed 
to be adversarial, even, you know, like coming back and having that energy and not being able to switch my heart on as well. I think we talked about this in the past too. Like I started this journey with Megan in part to like the heart going off is one of the bigger costs. It is the biggest cost. And it's like, we, we live in this, the ordinary world is to think of life and that's it. Just think of life, intellectualize it. Right. And if you're a man right now and everything is a theory of your mind and your mind leads and your heart follows, you've got it backwards. Right. It's really understanding in this extraordinary world that we live in right now that with my heart on, my vision is on, my future can be planned. It's beautiful. It's safe. It's an environment that's been crafted and curated and is free of as much indoctrinated nonsense as possible so that my beliefs serve my thoughts and belief and my emotions and I'm happy and healthy and I'm still masculine. Right. Right. There's still things like talking dirty and things like that. Well, we're going to talk about, I'm writing the trophy Plug husband's it. guide <laughs> to having these conversations because I think the, we know the number one questions we have are like, how do you start these conversations? And so I'm writing a series of articles. I don't know how many there are going to be, but they're articles and practices. So things that we did in in the process that opened up communication. And it doesn't matter if you're monogamous or uh, polyamorous. I'm writing it for relating to one another, to refresh your relationship and really, for the men, position yourself as trophy husband. Because I, I, I'm using this term, you know, the trophy wife is derogatory, I think. It, it's like a... It's almost a belittling of the, the woman to a, a position of secondary, you're not bright, you just, without me, you're nothing type of thing, right? And I want to flip that to the trophy husband, which is like the opposite healthy trophy husband that comes <laughs> in and serves his wife so that she's in the primary position, so that she is empowered and safe. Because when that happens, gentlemen, it's going to be a better world. Oh, the women confess to me quite a bit because I'm a safe place. And some of it is sad. Some of it is amazing. Some of it is incredibly intimate. And you would be quite surprised what your ladies want to talk to you about. Right? Conversations, deep, intimate conversations about sex and fantasies can light things up and can rejuvenate a relationship from dust to sparks again. And learning new things about each other, romancing each other a little bit like having some really critical conversations. You know, if this person really knows you the best, do they? Right? Do they know your your deepest, darkest fantasies? Like, can you talk about exes? Can you do any of that type of stuff? Because when you can, you can create this safe space. You don't have to fix your partner. She's She's more than capable of taking care of herself if she feels safe to do so. And I think that's really where... We're going to talk about flipping the script on competition and the rest of these things. So that yeah. this this world that you might be fearing right now, you might be like, oh, well, this is too much work. But this isn't. This is about changing habits, language a little bit. This is about just an inquiry of yourself. And I, I, I can guarantee benefits if you stay the course that are beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy not living in that that state of constant, constant pain. And it's funny now, I can almost feel the lightning bolt go from my brain down to my body and it gets blocked. Like if we're having a conversation, Megan and I, about someone else, another guy, something that she's exploring, which would normally have sent a message from my brain down to my stomach and then it would start feeling sick. That doesn't happen anymore. I, 
cannot explain how great that is to be like, that shit's done in my life. Yeah. That, that stuff was eating me up. Yeah. I don't even get, if I get a jealous blip right now or anything, I get that old feel. It's just such a like, whoa, what just happened? Why am I? And then it's like something else is obviously going on. Right. And it's just triggered this old kind of behavior. It's like when we returned to Chicago that yeah. triggered old behaviors. But here, I want to take a minute for, for one second before we transition to the meat of all of this. If you're just listening to Amory, and this is the first episode of Amory, this is actually Megan Batia's podcast, and I am Megan Batia's husband, Marty Batia, and this is Kyle Henry, her boyfriend, an OSO, other significant other. Um, I also have an OSO that is a partner that I'm going to keep anonymous, um, and we we have our little tribu. We have other friends in this tribe that we are going to be traveling with, and we are currently traveling right now. So this episode... Is, is a pair off between the two of us, uh, Marty and Kyle. And so this podcast is, we've got a little bit of advertising in the beginning of it and we'll be supported by Patreon. So Megan will plug Patreon and talk about what we're going to do there, but I think we're going to do some more conversations with some Q and A and like webinar style, mm-hmm. um, for the, one of our tiers of Patreon members, for patrons, I believe they call them. I'm currently in construction on the website, and I'm hoping to have a new website up in, I don't know, I give myself a month, so maybe like 10 Start days. <laughs> right? Like I usually give myself a longer target than I need. Um, so, there, yeah, and then there'll be offers that Megan's making about, you know, mentorship and things like that. So we are now... On this journey together, you've got a couple more days with us, and then you bounce back to the States? I'll London. be in England for some work, Okay, which is kind of my new work, which I'm really excited about. And Also coming from creating safe spaces and things like that. Right? Very much. And there's actually an interesting story about, I mean, I, I find myself working with more female CEO entrepreneurs, and I think that was a natural... It was just a natural progression for me. And, and I'm sure you feel similar in, in that way. Um, and there was a hard time that I, I came upon with, with this woman and she was feeling a bit insecure and, and doubtful about her ability and her ability to, to achieve what the paradigms we're talking about, what the toxic stuff we're talking about. And she said, would it be better? And well, she basically offered for me to be CEO because it might be better for a white male to do it versus her. No, might be better. Well, technically in this world would probably be better. It would be sure, but but I was like, I don't want to work in that world. Right, and that's not our work has changed. Right, what's better? Yeah, well, our work has changed, (laughs) and I'm here to support you. And I think for me, I've had to go on an ego journey myself to say I'm supporting an incredible visionary woman and I'm doing that more and more and I'm taking the back seat and I'm empowering them to do what they're capable and uh, enable and they're bringing their vision to the world that I think is beautiful and I support and that's that and that's my role and I'm really really good with it and I think I'm actually better in this role and I feel better and I don't have to be the one um, struggling with the, the leadership struggling with the oh I only know to do how to do this toxically and I haven't learned. So I think I'm even learning from women about how to lead in this way. Yeah. And so it starts with this mind shift, mindset shift. Right. 
right? And this is where we're going to get into the meat of this because it all starts with the idea of a new identity, right? That you are masculine, but you're going to be the best form of masculine out there, which means that it's time to inquire what kind of masculine are you? And I'm sure there are great qualities of your masculinity, but I'm almost guaranteeing there are a lot of shit ones and they're costing you, even if you don't acknowledge they're costing others, right? And so the first thing is to be willing to go on an inquiry about your own masculinity. And in that, shift the mindset. And for you, Kyle, was there a a moment or do you know when that mind shift happened or mindset shift happened and, and kind of... Yeah. I mean, I think it ties a lot to vulnerability because I think I've become a lot more vulnerable in this journey. You know, since we, since Megan and I really started dating. Um, so it was a choice of becoming more vulnerable as access to your... It's like a practice of vulnerability. Like I need to have it as a core practice, like... Getting part of the compass points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then, then what we would say is that the mindset that you need to change is that vulnerability is a bad thing, right? So this is one of the the axioms of, like I believe the so vulnerability fights all this shit. Yeah, that we were this, just talking this about. and this to, this is one of the toxic masculine constructs is like don't be vulnerable, right? Right, because your your other males will dominate you if you're vulnerable, and for the most part. That can be true in many scenarios where you're in a world of business and all your, your counterparts are trying to dominate you, right? So you being vulnerable in that space can also be disruptive to, to, to the bullies and to the dominant ones. They can try to take advantage of it. Right. But like my father had always taught me, you can't take anything from a naked man. It's like, you're going to come at me with truth. Okay. With truth's on the table. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay. And if, if not in my environment, I need to think about where my environment is and who I need to be working with or how I want that to go down. But yeah. that mindset first is vulnerability. And I have a quick story of kind of like in my journey, the different environments that I was in and starting to see who was my friend and who was not my friend. And, and as I was starting to share about what was happening with Megan and how different this was, and especially with other other men and in other men in groups. So I would go to a, a dinner that was kind of like a monthly or every other month with a bunch of guys. And there were a lot of people that I knew from the tech world. Not the most like masculine dudes that you would think. But as we know from Silicon Valley, that doesn't seem to matter about what toxic behavior will still pervade in these organizations. But um, what I learned from myself was when I don't, when I don't feel safe, I can be the joker. I can be the comedian. And I'll test out what I'm feeling or test out my story as a joke. And so I was starting to tell a lot of people in my life, like, oh, I'm doing this polyamorous thing. I'm, I'm dating this, this woman who has an open marriage. And I was kind of making it a joke because I really didn't feel safe. And I really wasn't being vulnerable because I was giving this, I was kind of painting this like, oh, this is kind of funny because I knew the guys wouldn't accept it they wouldn't be like oh that's super interesting you know, interesting yeah like how did you do that jealousy well, tell me more about getting over that i'd love to do that no nobody was asking <laughs> those kinds of questions. so you know it and and these are environments that i find myself in less and less i just desire 
don't desire to be there. Um, and I think the full journey will be when I can return and just be myself. And if it's, and it'll just be, it is what it is. But I think that was kind of a big part for me was I was being the comedian because I was afraid to just be myself and be vulnerable and do the things that we're doing now with the podcast. It's just raw and I'm not joking about it. It's, it's my innermost thoughts and, and I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what we're doing. So there's no hesitation at this point. But the hesitation for me at that time was I'm going to make this a joke and I'm going to test it because I know this group of guys won't accept it. They might make fun of me and they still even did. But um, that also won't change their mind because I'm kind of not giving the full thing. And I, and I do want to be an example and I want to be proud about what I'm doing because I am. I want to be an example. That's my, right. my desire. Thank right. you. And I, I think, you know, and you've other, been my example. Well, thank you. I mean, please. That's, uh, that's something that I'm really, really grateful for. I think on the other side of that coin too, this test of vulnerability, you all of a sudden find out who your real allies are. Like I've opened up to even some of the like vendors I work with that I, that I go to lunch with and like it shifted them. And then they're, they're really interested and they do have those things like what that's super interesting. Like, how did you do this? How did you do that? And there's this vulnerability it happens and then that's a real relationship because we're really relating and there's value there and I have joy when I hear about his kids and I have joy when I hear about his triumphs and there there's a desire to connect more frequently and because he's truly interested in my story and I'm truly interested in his story and there we we're honest with each other we learn from each other and <clears throat> that's really a valuable relationship right and it comes with this willingness to put down your guard I'm perfect Right. I just wear it all on my sleeve. My world of toxicity was really more violent in my childhood was more about being the strongest one in the room, um, taking power from others, ma- managing the power in the room, dominating the power in the room. And I would, I, you know, I'm boisterous and loud anyway, but it would be like just Marty on full speed, a hundred thousand miles an hour. Like you're not going to keep up and certainly don't challenge it because it's going to go sideways for everybody because I'm like a ticking time bomb. Right. And I, and I hadn't fought physically after 19 years old, but prior to that, I've been in like, like say over 30 street fights in my life. Right. One a week. (laughs) It was probably every weekend and during the week. And like, um, from 15 to 19 years old was really, really violent time for me. And I feel like, um, trying to take on that warrior mentality is also something like what is peaceful warrior. I've even tried to fully reject war, uh, like violence to only, you know, be in the most sacred place with friends walking to a waterfall. And then my friend being like, Hey, there are trespassers. Please walk with the 82 year old woman up front because if, you know, most of the time they're hippity dippity, it's fine. Sometimes they're natives and they're, they might get aggressive and, and then I, it dawned on me that no matter what I do in my life, violence will still be assigned to me because of my history, because of my black belts, because I'm not afraid of conflict, because I would, am I going to let the 82 year old woman get her ass kicked because everybody's a pacifist? Like that's not happening, right? <laughs> so, so like I have to like retune myself to what does warrior mean? What does having this capacity to fight mean about how I represent that in the world? And for me now, it's just this quiet confidence that all of it can erupt, but I won't take the action of fighting. Right. I'll just kind of hold the ground that 
that peace will prevail. That should be a last resort. Yeah, that there, yeah, that that last resort is almost never necessary. Right. Right. So, I I just feel as I've changed my mindset, I think a lot of it started with quitting drinking. You know, you'll really quickly find out that there are like four or five types of conversations that happen when you quit drinking. Right. People will be like, "How long?" Right, because it's always temporary. Um, when you say forever, they often will assume you had a drinking problem and start with an apology. Oh, I didn't mean to press. Or not. Like they don't know what to do with an alcoholic that's open and an alcoholic. Um, while I've probably been an alcoholic in my life, and the time I quit wasn't a lot of drinking. It was probably five hangovers in the year. It was, it was the frequency of drinking while I cooked and the constant inflammation and all that and not, not even really enjoying it and the acid reflux and all the other things I don't want to admit to myself. Right. Um, but when I quit, it was more of a health conscious thing, not, uh, I have a problem with it thing. It was also a de- declaration of ending the cycle of alcoholism in the family and not making liquor normalized for my children, considering the amount of alcoholism has affected my family. So like, you can't even get into those conversations. Some people would be like, Oh, well, what about a wedding? You know, like all of a sudden there's like these exceptions to be like, you can be oh, a non-alcoholic except for <laughs> weddings. When you go to the bar, what about the club? How do you dance? How do you talk to people? And all of a sudden, like you'll see really everybody's position and how they mirror that social crush. That, yeah. That crush. And some people will be like, right on. Some people don't drink as well. Some people are like, I'm thinking about quitting that as well. So you can really see the spectrum of what's going on. The filter. There. Same thing happens when you start opening up about being polyamorous. You're going to get that spectrum of communication, right? And, and you're going to start figuring out that, you know, you have to take on this new identity realistically. And so whether you're thinking about polyamory or anything flavor of it, or you're just in a monogamous relationship that you want to keep monogamous, but you want to reinvigorate, uh, this is one of the things you have to change is that you have a mindset of safe, powerful masculinity that isn't toxic or hyper and that is vulnerable and is open and you, you've changed your identity to that. And then you can start behaving differently, right? Even in the book Atomic Habits about really creating a new habit is first by creating a new identity and then behaving towards that identity in practice. And so this is a practice. So this is a journey that's going to be ongoing. So we'll continue to have these conversations as we go. So once, uh, once both of us really got to this point of really starting to come out, identifying who's like going to be on our side, who's going to be a resistance, what kind of resistance we're going to get, you start getting more confidence in challenging others' behavior really by demonstrating the safer practices of masculinity. And I think this is really where we found kind of the tools of this, right? The aim is vulnerability and safety, right? It, by being vulnerable, we relate by creating safe spaces. Instead of trying to fix your partner, you give her the opportunity to express herself. Some of these things we talked about is like talking about exes, Mm-hmm. Right. What's more vulnerable for a lot of people than talking about access? So I'm writing part of this in the trophy husband's guide. Right. One of the practices and one of the conversations is, can you talk about your spouses or your significant others exes? And if you can't, there is a really big breakdown that might be linked to your masculinity. 
Do you feel like you're going to be replaced by someone from the past? Do you feel some sort of lack or loss or threat, right? Because the actual masculine is threatening all the time. It's coercive, right? Persuasive, right? Please, please, please. Or it's like these really passive threats. Like, if you do this, you're going to kill me. It'll break my heart, blah, 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 blah. It's like exaggerated threats of, like, you're going to break down if the other person expresses themselves or has a feeling towards anyone else. Like, that's all also hyper-masculine. It's this idea that you need to totally be in control, totally empowered, never be vulnerable, right? And as a man, what type of relationships do you even have with your exes? I think that's part of the the journey I've been on is is connecting to women from my past, mostly apologizing for my behavior. Um, but in many cases I have, I have good friendships that were always strong and there and being happy for them with their partners now and not being triggered again by a post on Instagram of them being happy with their partner. Why would I be upset by that? You know, but I was for a long time about certain nexes that I don't think I got over or we didn't have closure or communication or, or this level of understanding and, and peace around. Yeah, this is like, we, we tried, we, we didn't work out. We're both okay with that. We're both happy. We're both doing who we are and we support each other now. And you can really be happy for that. It was actually care. They weren't an object, right? Like for me, it's different because I didn't date for 18 years. Right. And I, and more of these constructs of uh, she's going out with some guys. Well, my wife is beautiful and attractive and amazing, and she doesn't even always know that about her because maybe I'm not telling her enough or well enough or I'm in the way of it, but I'm, like, worried. Like, these guys are going to hit on you, blah, 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 blah. Be careful, this, that, and the other thing. And now it's, like, a whole different, of course they're going to hit on her, right? Like, of course <laughs> this is going to happen, right? But I don't have to be afraid of the intimate relationship that they have in communication, even if there's some sexual attraction there it can be used as fuel instead of whatever and now it's safe for my wife to have communication with men mm-hmm. and like fractions of them have attraction in them you know and even if there were it's kind of like we can talk about it and what do you like about this way how you know? good does it make her feel to be to have attention and safe to connect? i think it's really about safety yeah like yeah to be able to be safe and having that conversation being i love seeing again like that yeah and being lit up and and it comes back, you know, for, for us in so many ways. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's the, that was probably one of the bigger. Well, it becomes safe for us too. Yeah. Right. And now we can express ourselves more fully because there's this open relating and vulnerability. And like we often say about our partners, like no one knows you better than your partner. I, I don't know. Like you might know the logistics of your partner, what time they take a shit in the morning and what time <laughs> they take a shower and how they are and what time they, what kind of coffee they drink. But do you know? what's breaking down for them. You know that every generational change of your life from 10 to 20 to 20 to 30, 30 to 40 comes with esoteric conversations and evolution of who you are and and decisions need to be made and how you want to live going forward and how you want to be. And you probably changed and you're not talking about it because it's not a safe place to do it because change is scary. This is why talking about the exes, you're worried about them wishing they had their ex again or that they're going to find some flaw in you or whatever it is. I was terrible that way with Megan. Exes were threatening. And so the process of creating that as a safe space, now it's like, oh, I learned more about her sexuality. I learned more about um, 
I learn more about the good and bad qualities that she sees in others and me. I see the contrast of that. I see what qualities I carry over. I see which ones were gentlemen and which ones were jerks and how my wife reacted to those. And now I'm like really relating to her and I'm actually getting a, quite a bit of benefit out of it because yeah, I, I want a partner that has some sexual experience. And where did she get that experience? I'm just going to block out all of that. I'm like, she was a virgin, but she came like a porn star. I don't know. Like how do you, how do you get there without acknowledging that? And now God, it's, it's easy. She can bring up anything. She can bring up her fantasies and I get this powerful, empowered, you know, woman who sees herself as having self agency in everything that she's doing. I see her sexuality. I get the best sex ever. I'm having, I am in peace. I'm not worried about anything. Like, what could be better? <laughs> what could be better? I mean, I have my insecurities pop up and things still flare and I work on those and there's still plenty of miles to go in this journey. Sure. But vulnerability and safety are huge. That's like the start. Being vulnerable creates a safe space and it might be counterintuitive to you, but be vulnerable. So be in this inquiry about how you are. Find places you can be more vulnerable and relate. Lead with that. Don't make your spouse or partner work for it. You can only change yourself. Show examples of yourself changing. And then there are some other weapons in this tool chest. And I think one of the biggest ones for me was forgiveness and gratitude. So one of more than one of my partners have tried to teach this to me. Two of my partners were somewhat successful. And the one that I talked to, the one I'm in a relationship with now is really paramount to me learning forgiveness and gratitude. And the idea is that first we often need to forgive ourselves for how we behaved in the past in order to take on a new identity, right? And, uh, you know, one of my biggest fears and breakdowns is that I'm toxic. I'm a burden, right? So I, I needed to get over that experience of myself. I had to forgive myself and then have gratitude is this other part of it. So I had to forgive a nun that tortured me. And the crazy part is that she's already dead. Right. And she's been dead for a long time. And, and my lover is looking at me and going, well, <laughs> I have the answer for you. It's forgiveness. And then in that process of forgiveness, you know, it took me 15 minutes of standing by a campfire with his twigs in my hand that represented this nun. And she's like, of course you're going to burn her. Right? I'm like, of course, there's going to be a little bit of bad boy. It's like, like, I'm not letting go of that. Right. And I guess my brother is watching me distance as I go through this and I'm like all right he's wondering if I'm going to throw it in there and I'm I'm the type of guy that I don't say things I'm not going to do because everything I say I'm going to do I'm going to do right so I'm holding on to this I'm like well I really want the benefit of this forgiveness so I'm really only going to throw these in when I forgive her 15 minutes later I threw it in and then she looks at me she's like now you have to have gratitude for her I'm like fuck no you didn't tell me that that wasn't part of the deal I'm not doing that <laughs> it took me another week probably to get to the point of being able to find the power of gratitude for those who have wronged you including the power of gratitude for yourself when you weren't behaving well because many of your indoctrinated experience of masculinity that you might not be so uh, nice to yourself about being once you've observed it forgive yourself and then have gratitude that you survived this hyper toxic masculine world. You used some of the techniques. You have the ability to adapt. You have the ability to compete and change. It's just we're going to talk about a better way to compete with yourself instead of others. And we're going to talk about the, the 
better paradigms that are out there so that you're safe too. And, and forgive yourself for being in those spaces and then forgive other men. Cause that's, I think where I'm getting now is I'm starting to find compassion for other men. Mm-hmm. Cause I think in the beginning of this journey, while I was <clears throat> removing myself from the pack, I was pretty resentful of the pack. Yeah. And now I'm just more compassionate, empathetic, and a little bit of pity because they don't know what they're missing. Mm-mm. Like the relationships that I have with women are amazing, amazingly deep, amazingly transformative, amazingly safe, amazingly nurturing, amazingly sexual, amazing. And we all want these. that. And we all want that. That's, I know that. And we have this construct as men that you need to fight for love, which is just an oxymoron in and of itself. Like love is not a fight and you need to lead with your heart and let your mind follow that. So for you, Kyle, I mean, You've brought up vulnerability and safety. How do you feel about forgiveness and gratitude in this? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that that came up to my mind, um, which I learned from you, I think is kind of taking action when you're, when you're inspired, but taking action in, in self mastery towards self mastery when you could do a number of other things that are not, not uh, ideal. And I think I've had, over the past few weeks, some insecurities flare, you know, with Megan being in Chicago and seeing, uh, you know, seeing all these people that she knows interacting with other men that flared my insecurities and I really needed to face them. And I think that was a big part of what that piece of time was for, for me. And so there was insecurities, which are founded in, I don't know what, but they're around performance and, as I get older, maybe that's what I'm worried about is like, oh, I'm not going to be able to perform and then I'm going to get ditched by women. And there's so many things wrong with that, that, that line of thinking. But I think that's something that most guys struggle with, whether we want to admit it or not. And I'm, I'm admitting it here. So I think struggling with the, that element of performance and worry about performance and concern and then how that creates a threat in your mind that you may, lose your woman or you may you not be more satisfy competitive. them. Yeah, it's a competitive it's a competitive concern because you're so not able to execute. I'm, I'm gonna say right now, like competition isn't bad. You can't remove the competition from masculinity per se. Right? But there's a healthier form of competition. And I, I I'm gonna bring up my volleyball games in Brazil. I haven't played I love volleyball. I played like twenty seasons of it plus in Chicago Beach, indoor fours, twos, sixes, whatever. I've done it. I love it. I know the game really well. I have never been as fit as I am right now. And I hadn't played in like two or three years. And I was in Brazil and I got invited to an upper intermediate like level team, six on six guys. Like, you know, the masculinity flares. I get in this place and and I've got this energy and I'm like anxious and I'm like thinking about my position and the herd here. And all of a sudden it clicks and dawns on me that you're not here for that. Party. It's like your competition is with yourself. Calm down and have fun. Test your body. And this like mantra came in and I was like, I don't care if they get upset with me, but if I'm out of position, it's all Portuguese anyway. I can just claim I'm ignorant, whatever. And I played the best games I've ever played in my life. And I was competing only with my own swing, only with my own set, only with my own bump. Not anybody, I'm not giving a shit about any other outside influence on that. That's a healthy form of competition, 
right? It's, right. it's the same thing in martial arts. It's my own work, my own experience that matters. I feel like I'm creating more of those type of competitions with myself in a really healthy way. And I think to complete the thought of like performance was my insecurity and my concern. And I could just let it sit there and let it eat at me and let it bother me and let it affect me and then probably affect my relationships. I was like, what can I do to address this with action? And it was really simple. It was like kegels. And Marty's already been telling me to do this shit for months. And I, I downloaded the app and I feel like it's been two weeks and I feel like I went from a beer gut to six pack abs of, of my strength. Taint. <laughs> like, I, 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 uh, I, I have that also. I think that's a small example of what you can do. <laughs> and I don't know. It's it, like there's no excuses. Yeah. This personal <laughs> discipline is like kind of my view of being a sustainable person. Sustainability isn't just save the environment. It's social. It's environmental. But it's like takes takes sustainability in, inside of you. And my like my competitive nature of competing with just myself is a practice of personal discipline and personal mastery. And so like my minimalism is a practice of sustainability, which is a practice of a mastery of objects and the objects in my life, not having power over me, but rather me being aware of the objects I interact with that I own, that I have, and they have purpose, they have meaning, they have joy related to them, or they don't invade my life. Right. And then this also trickles into you know, why save plastic bottles for now? It's like, well, it's a source of personal discipline. I'm not being told what to consume or how to consume it. I'm making my own decisions and that's empowering for me. And so this personal mastery, um, personal competition. And as men, we're not working eight hour days or 15 hour days or whatever anymore. Right. Me right. And you don't do that. Right. And so what, what else are we going to use our time on? And we're going to invest in ourselves and we're going to do, Get to the highest states of confidence, the highest states of flow, which is a very attractive state, totally. which then opportunity comes your way. And because you're more aligned with who you are, you choose the right opportunities instead of any opportunity. And you're more discerning. And then your experience is better because you're be, do, have instead of have, do, be. You are being happy. You are being attractive. You will then do what attractive people do and be. And, and, and when being that way what you end up doing is the things that that person is right and then you have the results of being attractive and happy and all of those things instead of if i have this money then i'll be this uh, then i'll do these things i'll if i do all these things i'll have this money and then i'll finally be happy that's like the opposite way yeah right so what we want to do here is like be vulnerable be the place of safety be in this personal discipline of yourself that'll be a very attractive very confident state that new opportunities will present themselves and you don't have to do the societal constructs of. I just had this thought um, that midlife crisis is like basically your intuition completely like giving up on you. You're like, you haven't listened to me for 40 years now or whenever the breakdowns occur. I think it usually is in your forties and it's like a total car crash of your intuition with your reality. I think it's happening to a lot of people even younger than that now. I think there's sure. this cra a uh, conflict of heart and mind, right? And I think that this is where we've over-intellectualized things and we need to move to a heart state. If you lead with your heart, your gut, your feelings, your your experience of those feelings, you learn how to 
which inspect women know and do more often. More often than men. Right. But then you inspect those emotions for those thoughts and you look at those thoughts that lead to those emotions and you look at what beliefs lead to those thoughts and you start examining those beliefs and you remove replace or rewrite any of those so that they serve you better so that you get into better thoughts and happier states. It's retooling yourself, but those things create this new identity that is super attractive and peaceful. And it is the result of that is also being peaceful. Like whether you're a mas masculine or not toxic is a bad word. Don't be toxic. That exists. There's a version of toxic masculinity, whether you want to accept it or not is a toxic experience of being a man, right? locker room culture a lot of this bullshit if there's this hyper level of being a man i've got to be everything for everyone i've got to be the dragon slayer who never loses who's never vulnerable who's knight in shining armor that's bullshit too yeah. right this isn't a movie no this is like just being a man and so like it's dedicating yourself to going on the journey of finding out what your flavor of masculinity really is and to identify areas that are not serving you or others and to rework them and challenge them, become more masterful in yourself and use these male qualities and these male energies in positive ways. And then it's just being masculine and then masculine isn't a bad word, right? It's necessary. Some women like their men masculine, right? And like, you know, the talking dirty, the, the super attracted to, like, there's a safe way to do that, and women love it, and there's a way to, like, unlock all of this potential in the relationship. So if you're interested in in really transforming yourself and you need to reinvigorate yourself in your relationship, I think if you're not happy with your body, you're not happy with your mind and what your thoughts are, you're not happy with how you feel and your spirit isn't there, you're visioning, you're not planning for the future – it's time to go into an inquiry and it's time to start examining your ways of being. And then when you, you do, and you go to this practice, you can get to our point where you're dedicated to it. Mm -hmm. And now I think what we're really trying to do is, is end the trauma with us. And this is a work on generations of trauma is masculine constructs. And now is the time to work on them and the world needs us to work on them. And so, the next generation will be quite different if you can do that right. Yeah. So the new identity is happy, peaceful, masculine, loving first. So do you want to add to that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I feel like we're getting closer to the end. Yeah. I think what I, I want to leave everybody with, and I, I think this is, you know, taking on – the whole masculinity conversation is huge. I, I'd say it all the time. How do you eat an elephant? Sorry, vegans. One bite at a time, right? And it's not about trying to take on the whole thing. You'll never be able to do it, right? And so what you want to do is find that next actionable step to me, which is inquiry. How, you know, what, where can you see indoctrinated masculine relationships that, that aren't serving you? And what don't you like about them? And are you displaying them? And can you forgive them? Can you have gratitude for them? And then can you share about them with your partner and be vulnerable so that you're, you're creating a safe space by leading? I don't think there's anything more powerful in a man than one who can lead with his vulnerabilities to create a safe space by, by by not only putting down the sword, but like almost putting your neck up to your enemy's sword. Like, I'll give you the power to kill me right now. Here's my full vulnerability. If you're going to set the energy, do yeah. it that way. Yeah. It's like 
it's like I'm not going to fear the the other side of the table. It's like this this courage to be vulnerable um, is masculine. That's a masculine courage I can get behind. And I think, you know, the next step of fearlessness in that moment is to accept all consequences. Right? If your relationship isn't where you want it to be, then take a risk for your relationship and do something differently. And don't change your partner. You can only really change yourself. So why not? If you're listening to this as a man in the relationship, take it on. If your spouse has said, hey, let's listen to this new podcast because, well, maybe it's a sign that she wants to have some of these conversations and it's time for you to create that safe space for these conversations. And I feel like, and I really like the podcast that you and, and Megan did last time. Um, oh, my super vulnerable. You're super vulnerable one. And I think uh, it, it helped me reflect and and see a lot of things that I've gone, a lot of the similarities that we have, and I think the things that we've connected on. And, you know, I've been doing the work on my body, which is continuous. And then meeting Megan was this heart-opening experience. So now I'm more emotionally in touch and wanting more loving relationships in my life and repairing things and noticing when those old patterns are cropping up or continuing or trying to start and they don't serve me anymore. Um, and then there's kind of the soul, the soul piece. And you can talk about these things really high up in the sky, but to me, the, the soul piece is your intuition. And when I'm able to remove all of the bullshit, all of the things that I saw in movies or, you know, other men told me or locker rooms or frat parties or whatever, when all that shit gets pushed away, it's like, what do I really want? And I don't know. I think that's a really important question for every guy to seek because when things don't align, it's really painful. And I've talked about the pain I felt in my gut, my stomach, the tightness in my chest and my heart. When things aren't aligning, you can feel them. If you want to acknowledge that, I think that's a pretty good first step to say, Hey, we're not in alignment. Um, and my body is telling me and my body's always been something that's told me things first and I've ignored it. I've, you know, whatever looked the other way many times for a long time. Um, but I think if, if you can check that out as a guy, because we are pretty in touch with our bodies most of the day, we think we are. Um, there are signs that could tell you what, what are you feeling right now? Are you in, a, in alignment with what you want to do? And that's a good place to start if you're starting with yourself. Yeah, we're multi-sensory beings and use more senses than just your intellect, right? It's like the body processes smell, sound, distance, like your heart, your gut, all of that comes into play. And then it all gets processed into one tiny part of your brain and then it gets an output, right? If you start with your brain, you're biasing that output, mm-hmm. right? First, feel it all. <laughs> Listen to your body. Right. And I think that's what you're saying. That intuition yeah. will be there, that 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 knowing will be there on a whole nother level. And and you know what? Fix your fucking relationships. Right. Like <laughs> like. You pick somebody if you play house well together, if there are lots of things that you can just you can reinvigorate all of this stuff. You can fall in love again. Love is also a choice. It's not just this spark that happens and that's it there's a spark and there's a spectrum of how you love and love can be 
ongoing and it can be open. And if you want a strong, sexual, powerful relationship with your spouse or partner, like open up and let it, you know, don't be afraid of that sexuality. Don't be afraid of those exes. And there are conversations and I'm writing some of them, right? The trophy husband's guide. So I, so as we wrap this thing up, I'm more excited for this than <laughs> I've been writing prolifically <laughs> too. Like we've been putting together quite a bit pretty fast. Uh, but the idea is that, look, we want to keep this inquiry going. This is Megan's inquiry about Amory, and this is, we're pleasure. No more guys to reach out. Cause yeah. I've only had a few for fuck's sake. Well, and no one <laughs> reaches out to me. Like I get like two people that have messaged me. I get all my messages through you and Megan. So like feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram is probably the best bet. So I've tried to, I've tried to explain how, how much knowledge and things that I've learned from you. I appreciate so, that. Well, and I want to know what people want to know. Right. Like right. directly, like ask me, I'm an open book. And like, uh, I, this is a way for me to, to curate more of the things we can document about our experience that, that can be useful for others in my trophy husband's guide. Right. And, uh, you know, Megan's going to talk about Patreon next. If you're, if you think this world needs this inquiry and you like the way that we're doing it, then, then consider that becoming a patron, uh, on Patreon and, uh, Megan will make sure that the tiers are all there. Ask for what you want. And, and I want to be part of that support. I want to help in our uh, webinars or in specific conversations that you want to have. We can do more of this, more mm-hmm. podcasts like this around these topics. Yeah. We're going to do some individual shorts. So like only one of us on the podcast and like 20 minute conversations about specific topics. Some of the stuff we might put. Patreon members only. Some of it, we're still figuring that all out. So be gentle with us. Um, be vulnerable. Be communicative. Uh, I believe the world needs this conversation. I'm happy to support Megan's vision of this. The yes, world well. needs love, learning, and share, right? Love, learn, and share is her real model. It's really about upgrading your operating system around love and sh- shattering the constructs of what, what, uh, you believe loving others is including yourself and uh yeah i'm excited me as well all right this is fun marty yeah likewise <laughs> kyle thanks